Let's pray. We do come to Thee, Lord, God, and Savior. And we ask that You would sanctify us by Your Word. Cleanse us and lead us into ever greater holiness in Christ Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those who are visiting today, we have been spending the last two weeks in this series called The Gospel in the Messy Church. And we have been laying down the groundwork of the gospel because it is in Jesus Christ and his gospel that we find unity. It is in Jesus and his cross that we find the very wisdom of God. And indeed, it is Jesus and his cross, his gospel, in which we find our very identity. So why is it so important to continue to lay this groundwork down again and again? You would think we've heard it enough by now. The difficulty is when we get to messy subjects, messy things in our lives, it's really easy to forget the gospel, to revert back to selfishness, pride, ego, all of those things. It's really easy just to say, well, I'm going to lay down more rules or laws, if you will, to try to deal with the issue at hand. But we forget that we need to be guided by Jesus Christ, His gospel, His cross, in all of the messy situations in our lives. And so today, in this series, we are going to deal with one of those message subjects, sexual immorality. Now, if you're a visitor today, you're thinking, wow, what did I just walk into? <laughs> right? But indeed, sexual immorality is all around us, isn't it? I mean, you really can't even watch TV commercials without sexuality being pushed upon you. It is within our culture. So you can't, I mean, you can't ignore it. It's there in your face all the time. And with the church in Corinth, it was very present there as well. And indeed, God does not just overlook this topic. He actually addresses this topic quite thoroughly. So because God addresses this topic, even though we might feel uncomfortable about it, we also need to address this topic as well. And our goal here, our goal here is not simply to bring the law down, but to lift the gospel up. Our goal in dealing with any messy subject is this, to have God's word cleanse us, sanctify us, and draw us ever closer in holiness to Christ Jesus. That's our goal. So we are going to take a look at three questions today. Why is sexual immorality an issue? Why is it an issue? Why discuss it within the church? And then how should we view our sexuality? Three questions. Why is it an issue? Why discuss it in the church? And how should we view our sexuality? 
Now, I know our text today in the sermon notes and what was written is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We are also going to include and actually start with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. So, it begins this way. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. So, if you were here from the beginning of this a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the background in the church of Corinth. And sexual immorality was rampant there. They had a temple for Aphrodite. You remember Aphrodite? The Greek goddess of love and lust, of passion and pleasure. And it was said that there were up to 1,000 temple prostitutes around the temple of Aphrodite. So, so immoral, so immoral was the city of Corinth that the Greeks, who were not necessarily so moral, the Greeks actually coined the word to Corinthian size. I didn't say that right, but you get it. But it means to live a life of immorality. That's how much it was endemic in the culture at that time. And it was in the church as well. So beginning in chapter 5, without easing into it all, he didn't like ramp up to it. He just starts to address the topic of sexual immorality. Now, we use in our English two words to translate one word, sexual immorality. The actual Greek word is pornia, from which we get our modern word pornography. But at the root of it all, it means unlawful lust, unlawful passion, and it includes adultery and incest. So Paul is talking about not just one instance, but sexual immorality throughout the church. And there is one instance, though, that he is talking about. And it is about a son who is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, he doesn't say that the son is sleeping with the mother. So it seems to be it's not necessarily incest. But he is then at least sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul says this kind of immorality isn't even tolerated by the pagans. So egregious, unrepentant, and hard-hearted is this immorality that Paul says this fellow needs to be excommunicated from the church. Now, the emphasis that Paul is doing here isn't just about this one situation. You see, it's really easy to say, well, it's just about that guy who's sleeping with his stepmother. But that's not really... Paul's case here. He's talking about sexual immorality throughout the church. And as a matter of fact, this isn't the first time that he's even talked to them about it. Now, the book that we have, we call 1 Corinthians. It's his first letter that we have to the church in Corinth. But indeed, this is at least the second letter. We actually just don't have the first letter. 
how do we know that it's the there was another letter beforehand? Well, in verse 9 uh, through 11, he says, I wrote to you in my letter. So he's referring to another letter already. I, re- I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not not even to eat with such a one. So, I want you to notice something here. Paul's focus isn't on changing the outside world. Do you notice that? His focus isn't changing the outside world. He's focusing on the church, within the church body. And listen, he's not interested in cleaning up society. As a matter of fact, he writes this in verse 12. For what have I to do judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, look, this is going to be an eye-opener for so many people because people often see the church as the one who's just focused on fixing the society, right? The moral majority and everything else, and the church, we got to do that. Paul isn't interested in that. I mean, think about the early church. They were focused more on surviving than anything else, and so he was focused on cleaning what was on the inside, not on the outside. And by the way, He's not talking about isolation either. Because he says, look, if you can't interact with sexually immoral people or greedy or all those other things, you would have to isolate yourself away from everybody else. You'd have to, in our modern day, you'd have to become like the Amish or something. You got that? He's not saying that. He's saying in your life, you are going to, Deal with immoral people, no matter what. He's more focused on the inside. So that's the first thing to notice here. The second thing to notice is that he does not limit it to sexual immorality. He says this. He puts it together with the greedy, the idolater, the reviler. That's somebody who's verbally abusive. He puts them together with drunkard or swindler. And he could keep going on, but I think he's making the point there, right? So let's be clear about this. He is not talking about the people who occasionally do this, although there should be no occasion in his mind, in God's mind, that any of these things should happen. He's not focusing on them at this moment. He is focusing on the people who are openly and unrepentant sinners. They are flagrant in their sin. And Paul says that we are not to associate with such brothers and sisters in Christ that we should purge them from our body. That is excommunication. Excommunication is a word you don't 
hear much anymore. I think you probably associate this with the Catholic Church more than anything. But yet this is for all churches. So excommunication, it's hard word, harsh word. So excommunication is a last resort for flagrant, hard-hearted sinners. There's a line that needs to be drawn, and Paul does draw the line. And it is not done out of anger, but that the person might come to repentance. So if somebody is removed from any church because of hard-hearted, flagrant, unrepentant sin, they are excommunicated so that they may come to repentance. You know, this is a harsh thing, right? I was given two examples uh, from two different people about two different churches, but very similar situations. There was a man in each church who was basically going around from woman to woman to woman. In one church, he was a drunkard and philander, I guess that would be the word, right? And in another, this guy was actually preying on widows. Not so good, right? Evil in both cases. Both men were talked to. Both men were put out of the church because they refused to repent. Now, the person who gave me this example here, the drunkard and philander, thought that there should be no such thing as excommunication. I mean, that's too harsh, right? That's not a loving thing to do, is it? I mean, wouldn't Jesus himself just forgive them and let them carry on? Well, go to the gospel reading that we have for today. And I know, by the way, all the readings today were hard to hear. I acknowledge that. But this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We always think the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, we start with that and it's so wonderful and beautiful. But he has some hard sayings here. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Pretty harsh, right? A pretty hard saying. So why is this such an issue, sexual immorality? Flagrant, unrepentant sin is no small matter to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is something that leads to damnation, not salvation. Well, why is that? Because it actually rejects God's Word. And when you reject God's Word, you are rejecting God Himself. Look, Paul wrote this in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Flagrant, unrepentant sin is a serious, serious matter. And there's no loophole here. I mean, you heard it, right? There's no loophole. See, a lot of people read that one verse there, and the only thing they can see here is nor men who practice homosexuality, and they disregard the entire rest. Now notice, this message today is not about homosexuality or transgender or things like that. This is about normal, heterosexual immorality. And people still want to find a loophole. But God is consistent through the Old Testament and the New. Now, I know it was hard to listen to the 18 verses in Leviticus, right? It just hammers away and pounds. We didn't even read the whole chapter. I had mercy upon you. But do you notice there's so much specificity in chapter 18? There are no loopholes. And Jesus doesn't give a loophole either. He says, not even if you actually committed adultery, but if you have lust in your heart, that's the same as adultery. Right? No loopholes. So, you can see why this matter is certainly important on an individual level. Right? But why do we have to address it in the church, on a church level? And in simple terms, it is this. You don't want what is damnable infecting the whole church, affecting the bride of Christ. Paul says this. Now we're 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the leaven, but with the bread, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This makes sense. I mean, if you have some yeast dough yeast here and unleavened dough here, it's very easy for some of that yeast to leaven the unleavened bread. Within the church body, if there is flagrant, unrepentant sin, and we just turn a blind eye to it, it infects the whole church. We think, well, I guess they can do it. And then other people naturally by human inclination think, well, I can do that as well, can't I? So it infects the whole church in this way. But you know what? This, this is critical here. How does Paul ground his reasoning for everything that he's saying? Does he just bring out Leviticus chapter 18? Does he just bring out the Old Testament law? Does he wag his finger at the people as it's so easy to do? No, he does not. 
He actually focuses on Jesus Christ and the gospel. That is the ground of his very being. He goes back to Christ Jesus, our Passover lamb, who died for the sins of the world. That in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. One that has been set aside for him and him alone. And therefore, therefore, right, we are to set aside the old carnal self and live for Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you, we, the church, are the bride of Christ. We are wedded to him. We are with him as a body. And as the bride of Christ, we are set apart, sanctified to be holy for him and him alone. This is the gospel message in all of this. And yes, look, I know we are all sinners. So we can't just say, well, if you're not a sinner, you can't come in this door, right? Because we'd all be outside then today. But we come because we are called by Christ. We are cleansed. We are sanctified by his word. By the sacrament where we receive forgiveness. And in doing this, we maintain being the bride of Christ. This is our call. This is what Paul grounds his whole argument in. So you can see why that sexual immorality is an issue, why we need to address it within the church body. And now we get to our final question is, well, how should we view our sexuality? Now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. All right. So I'm going to put up a phrase I bet you have heard before. My body, my choice. You heard that one? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't, you really are Amish, isolated from the world. But this is a statement that's used with the abortion debate all the time, and now with the transgender issue and all of that sort of stuff. It is my body, my choice, and nobody, no government, nobody in the universe can tell me what I can do with my body, right? This is endemic, pandemic proportions within our culture to this very day. My body, my choice. And what happens is, and by the way, it's from the beginning, from the very garden all the way down. So it's not just our culture here. But when you say it's my body, my choice, you are saying I have bodily autonomy apart from God. God doesn't even enter into the picture because it's my body, my choice. But this is probably the most important question I have for you today. 
you who are in Christ Jesus, is your body your body? That's the most important question I have for you to ponder today. Is your body your body if you are in Christ Jesus? Now that you are free by the gospel, can you do anything that you want with your body? Some people say, well, you know what? Look, I'm saved by grace. I can do whatever I want because God's going to just forgive me in the end, right? Paul's refuting that sense with the church in Corinth. Here, uh, one common saying is, all things are lawful for me. Paul responds, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul rebutes those sayings by saying, yes, you can make choices, but you can make very destructive and harmful choices that will overtake your lives. Now, this other phrase, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both and the other. One commentator, I thought, uh, said it really well. This is an ancient and well-known euphemism for a person's sexual appetite. The idea being just as the stomach's appetite is meant to be satisfied with food, so the body is meant to be satisfied through sexual activity. Paul says, look, God will end up destroying both. He is sovereign over your soul and your body. And now we get to the very heart of it all. This phrase right here. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. God created our body, not for sinful pleasures, but for His glory. He created us in in His very own image, not for our glory, but for His glory. He created our bodies for service in His creation, for His glory. And He created marriage so that there would be procreation for us, for our joy and His glory. And sexual immorality is the opposite. It is the opposite and contrary to His plan, His desires, His will. And now you who are in Christ Jesus are His. You're actually a member of His body. Going with verse 15 through 18. Do you, know not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Just as in marriage, when the two become one flesh, when the two become one flesh, you are 
in the same like manner, you now united in Christ and are part of his body. And just when you get married, you are united in a very profound manner. It is the same with the union in Christ Jesus. And if there is adultery in marriage, you know how that just tears the flesh apart. In the same and like manner, you who are united in Christ, when there is immorality of any kind, especially sexual immorality here today, there's a tearing of that bond that you have in Christ Jesus. That's actually what's going on here. If we use our bodies in the way that he says, there is joy and his glory. Verse 19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So, your body, your physical body, and everything that contains is now just not a body. It is a temple. And we're not talking just physique here. Because if we all did our physique, we kind of go, well, it's a run-down temple, right? But now, in a spiritual manner, your body is a temple. So what does that mean? Well, if you think about the Old Testament, even Jerusalem, right? Even Jerusalem, with the temple in, Jeru in Jerusalem, there was a place, the inner part, where God would meet man. That's really the sense of what's being talked about here. Your body is where God, the Holy Spirit, meets you and indwells with you. That is your body for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, our bodies are no longer just a body, but it is a sanctuary, if you will. It is to be a sanctuary, and it's no longer yours, but God's. And he ends this section with a very profound statement. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, in the midst of all this messiness, there's such a strong emphasis on the gospel that God loved you so much that he paid the dearest price for you, not just your soul, right? Because we often think, I'm, I'm to love God with my heart, my mind, my soul. Well, your entire body, right? He paid the price for your entirety. And he paid that with the very precious blood of Christ Jesus. He redeemed you. He brought you out of darkness from slavery into his light. So brothers and sisters, beloved children of God, whereas you were once slaves of darkness, now you are children of light. So glorify the light of the world that has set you free by using your bodies for his glory. Amen? You know, as I was working through this, this past week here, I kept thinking, I wish I had heard this message as a teenager. 
You know, as a teenager, you often just hear the law, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And Christianity becomes a lot about the law. And by the way, teenagers do need law, right? Okay, so there you go. <laughs> I thought there'd be more of a chuckle on that one. But you got to go back to your own teenage years, right? But I wish I had heard the gospel. I, I wish I had heard that I, I've been bought with a price and I'm no longer just me, I'm his. Would that made of a difference in my rebellious teenage years? I don't know. But I can tell you it is never, never too late to be sanctified, to be cleansed, to be drawn ever closer in the holiness of Christ Jesus. So for you this week, I would like this to resonate in your mind, your heart, your soul, your body. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Amen.